Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary show, where ordinary heroes tell extraordinary stories during unique and never been heard before conversations with your host, Hillary Arno Burns. Hillary's unique listening and way of asking questions results in conversations that aren't usually talked about. So you can create the life that you really want, but are afraid you can't really have. We are demonstrating the greatness in the human spirit and creating a world where we all reclaim our birthright of joy, happiness, purpose, and passion. Now, here's your host, Hilary Arno Burns. Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary show. And today I am so excited to be here with Bryn Lottig. And I have a special little treat right now. I shouldn't be here. I'm an anomaly. My dad died when I was two in an alcohol-related car accident. My mom's dad was an alcoholic who died in an alcohol-related car accident. My mom's mom suffered from a variety of mental illnesses and was committed into mental institutions for years at a time. My mom struggled with illicit drugs and alcohol her entire life, and it didn't get better after my dad died. One of my earliest memories is of me rocking my mom to sleep as she cried, of me begging her not to commit suicide. These are just some of the reasons that I shouldn't be here. So I'm bringing on a very, very dear friend of our family, and I'm going to start crying. This is Bryn Lottig. Um, this is her second interview on the Getting Real with Hillary show because she has a very important message. Uh, my daughter works with her company, but we're not going to. We're not going to go into that yet. I'm just going to introduce Bryn. That was her doing a TED Talk, which is so darn cool. So welcome, Bryn. Hello. <laughs> We're still you. learning technology, but yes, welcome, 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 Bryn. So how was it doing a TED Talk? Was that crazy? Oh, it was terrifying. Um, I... I signed up to do it because I know somebody else that had done a TED talk and I was like, Oh, that's, that's who I want to be when I grow up. And that's something that I really wanted to aspire to. And, and so I signed up and the interview process was just like a three minute video. And so I submitted this video and I got accepted. And the person that I know um, who did the TED Talk said that it was like this transformative experience because there was a cohort of everybody who got accepted and they got all this professional coaching and they practiced for each other and they gave one another feedback. And and they didn't have their idea all flushed out when they submitted their application. And so I 
I thought somebody was going to help me polish and refine my idea. Um, and, and, and nobody did. And so two weeks before the event, I went to the tech check and just, just tanked. And, uh, I, I called my friend, um, she's a professional speaker and consultant and her name is Amy Clymer. I called Amy and I was like, I, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not ready. There's, there's just no way. Like it would be embarrassing. Um, and, uh, she put me in touch with the person who organizes the TEDx Asheville program. Her name is, uh, Barry Barton. And she's absolutely brilliant. And she took everything that I had written and come up with until that point. And she she spent so much time with me over that week and we workshopped it and reformatted it. And she like took chunks and she put it here. And my my experience is so much more interactive. I'm a professional facilitator. And part of what I do is based on participation. And the thing about a TED Talk is you're just alone on the stage and you have to talk. And so to make it interesting and engaging and to flow, um, Barry was amazing. And I couldn't have done what I did uh, that day without her. So, um, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So yeah, I watched it. I was like, she's so good. I was telling Haley, um, who Bryn works with, um, I'm like, she was so good. So that wasn't just natural. You went out on the stage and did it fabulously. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I did like a, a practice for my friends at uh, her house. And they they didn't, I made sure that they didn't like critique any of my uh like my words because I was working really hard at trying to memorize them the best I could. Um, but they uh, gave me feedback on my body language and some other things. And then my husband who, um, is a scientist, a professional scientist, but he gives professional talks, um, about his science and has seen many presentations. And he was like, Nope. Um, the best presentations, can be read off of note cards. It is worse to try and do it without a note card and to, to mess it up really bad. And so he was like, take your note cards, even if you think it looks stupid, like don't try to do it memorized. And I was like, okay. And I, at the time, like looking back on it and I think I've only, <laughs> I've only ever watched it all the way through from start to finish one time. <laughs> because I like hate the sound of my own voice, but uh, I don't think I could have done it any better than I did oh, that day um, that at so that great. time. Yeah. I would love to polish and refine it and, you know, uh, maybe do it again in a, at a keynote um, event or, or something in the future. But um, for what it was, it was something that I was very proud of, but it was, it was doing hard things. It was not my comfort zone. Yeah. But you said it was 18 minutes. So that's a long time to memorize. Um, so, so you did use the cards in the end. I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good for you. Good for you. Wow. When I used to have piano recitals, I used to put my music, even though it was memorized right here, because otherwise mm -hmm. I, I was just 
I would freak out. I needed the reassurance. So yeah, I get it. Anyway, mm -hmm. wow. All right. Well, so that was great. And if you want to watch the TED Talk, you can Google, um, what did I Google? Bren Latig TED Talk. And there it comes up. So you can watch the whole 18 minutes. It's called Against the Odds, Generational Trauma, Mental Illness, and what's the, what's the, an addiction. Okay, sorry. I'm coming back. Okay. So yes, so excellent. So bravo. And that's since our last interview. So if you want the first yeah. interview with Bryn to go through her whole life and how she got up to this point, we're going to cover a little bit of it. But if you want the details, and it's a fascinating story, and it's a story of overcoming, it's a story of uh, just... What would you say? I, I can't, you know, it's just overcoming, overcoming a childhood that some people, as she said, she shouldn't be here, but here she is thriving, succeeding, inspiring people, changing the world. And we're going to get more into that right now. So thank you for who you are, Bryn. Really. No, thank you. And now my nose is going to run and it's going to be running the whole rest of the time. So that's just the way it goes. So, ah, okay. But clamped. All right. So Bryn. Where yeah. would you like to begin? Do you want to begin with the camps? I know, or just talk a little bit about your life and how when you went to camp, how that was different. So they get the. Well, um, I actually was thinking about this, you know, when, when you and I were talking about that and, and knowing that I've been on the show and that, you know, there's some stories that have already been said. Um, I recently was reminded of an event or an experience that I haven't shared publicly very much. So when I went to college, um, I, I entered college as a mechanical engineering major with an aviation minor. I started flying airplanes when I was 14. I got my private pilot's license before I graduated from high school. And my plan was to be a commercial pilot. But uh, just a few weeks into my freshman year was 9-11. And so uh, I was grounded. And this was like right after I had made the decision not to go into the military and to pursue um, a, uh, aviation as a civilian. And so I was really thankful because there was so much uncertainty at that time. Um, I was really glad I wasn't in the military. You would have gone, um, right, right, gone right overseas. Mm hmm. Wow. But it left me with a lot of professional uncertainty. And if you remember that time um, is 2001 and all of the airlines were uh, going bankrupt. So like Northwest Airlines um, and like uh, United and American and uh, all, they were they were all like furloughing pilots. There was just there was no air travel anymore. And so there was a flood of pilots in the system. Nobody could train. So the FAA suspended all uh, flight training operations. And I kind of like didn't know what to do. And so just in a flash, I lost any professional advantage that I had of being young and female. And um I, because of my family background, uh, and I, I didn't, I didn't know it at the time, but it was, 
I had gone away to summer camp every year, but going to college was a little bit different. And I had uh, gotten myself into a, a relationship with a boy and, and I, I didn't recognize it for what it was. Um, but I was very codependent and I was, I would, I would cling to this thing because I lost my professional identity. I, I lost this role within my um, biological family that I was living with, where I was just always the mediator. And so I had this boy who, who, who loved me and, and then I loved him a little too hard back. Uh, And so I was sort of wrestling with that and I was walking across campus and there was one of those like pop-up tents for, you know, all of the sports clubs and intramural sports and, you know, chess clubs and all of the different activities that you can do to get involved in, in your, in your college community were out there. And there was one with a kayak and a tent. And I was like, well, that looks like fun. And he was like, yeah, we're going um, sea kayaking uh, on Lake Superior. And I was like, yeah, can I, can I go? I would like to go. And uh, so, so I went on uh, a kayaking trip and it was one of the coolest things that I had ever done. I'd never seen Lake Superior before and it's so big. And I've got this picture on my fridge um, from that trip and it's just the bow of the boat and ocean all the way to the sky horizon and it and it was fresh water and it wasn't salt water it wasn't the ocean and there weren't waves and it was beautiful and it felt like I was this centaur I had never been in a kayak before and so this boat like is an extension of your legs and you're you're sitting inside it's also called a cockpit but you're sitting inside this boat and it feels like a part of your body so it's connected to your hips and you're paddling and I was like I felt physically transformed but also emotionally transformed so I was I was piloting I was captaining this boat all on my own and I couldn't see land or boat or anything in front of me. And it felt like I I was just, the world was my oyster in that moment. And I could have done anything. And I fell in love with um, wilderness tripping and, and kayaking. And so coming out of that just weekend where we slept in tents and paddled to islands and we went through sea caves um, and came home and I came home to that boyfriend and felt this renewed sense of independence and of self. Uh, it was really great. And and I still didn't feel like I had a professional collegiate trajectory, um, you know, and he was on the college baseball team and had a major and was older than I was and felt like, you know, he, he was doing things and achieving things on the, on a regular basis. And all, all I had was him. And so, um, you know, I, I say a lot that, that it's, it's hard to watch your younger self go through something. And if I were my own friend, I would have never let me do what I did. Um, but I had to, I had to learn by doing, I had to learn from experiencing it. Nobody could tell me 
how bad this relationship was for me in a way that I could internalize or understand until it had gotten to that place. Um, but that kayaking trip inspired me to, to go on an outward bound trip. And so I did um, a, a two week trip through um, Outward Bound USA based out of Colorado. So Colorado Outward Bound School. And I went whitewater rafting and backpacking for two weeks. And I had never really like been a wilderness person before. And I loved it. And I loved it. And I found this new sense of self. And, and I had been to camp, but it was a horse camp. And I slept in a building every night. And I had running water the whole time. And I didn't have to ever cook my own food. Um, and so it, it wow. was, it was a really cool thing. And I felt like a total badass. And, uh, when I came back to school the next year, um, you know, and that, that boy and I were very like up and down and off and on, but, um, I ran into the same guy who took me kayaking with his, with his like outfitter store, um, that did like rentals and sales, and I went again and I brought friends with me that time and I had a blast. And then he was like, hey, have you ever thought about this abroad program? And so through through this same shop called Redtail Outfitters, um, they outfitted me for a semester abroad with, you know, a backpack and a sleeping bag and and this sleep sheet that you could take to hostels or you could have inside of your sleeping bag when we went backpacking. But we went from so I did a semester abroad in New Zealand and we traveled from the North Island all the way down to the South Island over two months. And then we went over to Sydney, Australia. We went up the East Coast um, as and far as the Great cool. Reef. That was cool. Yeah. <laughs> this was cool. Yeah, I was getting college credit. Wow. Um, and then I went to Tasmania and then to Perth and then to Fiji. And so I got college credit for it. We moved every three days. Um, my professors traveled with me. Uh, we studied um, ecotourism, adventure tourism, cultural tourism, uh, outdoor pursuits, so like climbing, rappelling, whitewater rafting. Um, I went skydiving and bungee jumping and um, had all of these amazing experiences. We chartered a private helicopter and we went up on a glacier and we rappelled down into crevasses and then ice climbed our way out. And um, all of these things, they, they like really provided this connection to myself. Um, and it really helped me understand my relationship with other people as I was traveling with them and experiencing these things. And it sort of accelerated these relationships. And I became closer to these individuals than I had with, you know, certain friends that I'd had growing up my entire life. Um, you know, and it really made me appreciate nature and the world around me so much more. And so, uh, Again, I came home completely like renewed and changed. And it was interesting because, you know, I say that 9-11 changed my career trajectory, but I was in Sydney when President Bush declared war on Afghanistan and the perspective of being in a foreign country and everybody wanting to talk to Americans about what was going on 
was a real difference in experience than people that I know who were here in the States. So the people in the States, it was like this real intense nationalism. Um, and everybody was only buying things that were made in the USA. And there was this real bonding um, that happened because somebody came to American soil and did this thing. But when I was in Australia, I got a very different perspective. And everybody that we met wanted to talk politics with us. And so that, it, it, it's sort of, uh, you know, is very humbling because I'm there in their country eating their food, um, you know, immersed in their culture. And some of the, the biofeedback, the cultural feedback was not all 100% pro-American. And I remember seeing um, the, the Columbine movie that Michael Moore made. And we saw it while we were in Perth. And afterwards, I like wanted to throw up. Like I, I did not want anybody to know that I was an American. It was like, oh yeah, no, I want to be Canadian. Like, let's just pretend. Um, and those types of experiences, I think really helped me build a more balanced worldview and they help me relate to others and they help me sort of understand and keep in check and, and even critically think about my own opinions, um, my own experiences. And so, yeah, I, I did that program abroad and I got back to college and I was still, um, pursuing that same boy for, you know, love and validation and belonging. And, you know, my family was still in this place where uh, at that time, my brother was in rehab. Um, my mom had been in car accidents and she was facing some significant jail time. Um, my stepfather had left her to become a Jehovah's witness. Um, all three of them would call me to sort of counsel and mediate. And, and so this, this real physical escape was sort of like necessary for me to connect with myself, mm. for me not to take on my family's issues. Um, when I got back to college, I wanted to keep going abroad. So the next year I went to Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam. Uh, with the same program, again, traveling with my professors and spending an entire semester abroad. Um, and, and really, these experiences were foundational in some of the other stuff that I talked about in my TED Talk or in our last chat. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the traveling with a small group of people really forced me to share a common space, to share a common vision of like, okay, what is our mission? What is our task? Like where we have to get from here to here and either we're backpacking or traveling by car or train or whatever. But, but our goal was to like do this thing. And, and essentially it's like a problem solving initiative 
but it's international travel. And then in Southeast Asia, unlike Australia and New Zealand, I did not speak the language. And this again is early 2000s. So it was uh, 2004 and, and smartphones weren't a thing. And we would travel with physical Lonely Planet books and physical like mini translation books. And we would try to find the words and we would point to things and we carried around like old calculators to barter and negotiate prices wow. for sales of things. So um, were the teachers in it with you? Like they weren't helping you? You were they like they were learning just like you. I mean, they were they were guides, but okay. they weren't native to that uh those countries or those languages um they one had been there before but one had not and so they basically were were just uh adult chaperones mm -hmm. they had sort of been through the entire process but um but they couldn't liaise as much. And I don't think that was the, the point right. of it. I mean, it, was you, it is. Yeah. You had to kind of grow up and yeah. be the adult. Right. Yeah. And no I one, mean, no one was saving our, you. Right. Yeah. A lot of our big travel lodging and stuff was sort of, it was like, yes, we are going to go to this city and then we're going to go to this city. So it's not like it was, unplanned right 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 but some of the smaller tasks were left to us and i think that that is what i learned is the experiential learning model it you're supposed to have an appropriate amount of challenge mm -hmm. and and i look at the things that i experienced throughout my life and was fortunate to and and I understand and recognize that that comes from a very privileged place, that I had access to these things and I had the resources to be able to do them. But I think that in general, there are that people of my generation, by the time that I was 21, I had a depth and breadth of experience that this next generation doesn't quite have by the time that they are 21. I, um, because of I, your, ex because, because you were in that generation or because you went on these trips and took on mm -hmm. that? Like, I, I think both, I think I had more than my peers, but also I think our generation had more than others because, um, what I see now is in, uh, There are parents from my generation or that that don't want their kids to fail. There's so much mm -hmm. adversity that that many of us grew up with that our inherent uh, desire is to protect people from it mm -hmm. um, and not allow them to experience any sort of pain or discomfort or adversity. But I I employ young people and they are coming to me with a lack of, I would say, experience in many things. Um, just even like many of them are not comfortable driving for, for, for very long distances. And that was something that, you know, I started when I was 16. I, I just yeah. started driving myself to and from flight lessons and 
it was over an hour each way. And uh, just the level of independence that I experienced. And, and some of it 100% is growing up in a substance abuse home and having to advocate for myself. Um, but there's there's a number of youth that that's have this like extreme fear of failure and and they won't do something if they think they're not going to be good at it, if it's not familiar, if they think that they're going to fail. Um, and working in education, I see this a lot. Mm-hmm. I see it in students. I see it in my young staff. And it's just really interesting. And I think that one of the reasons I've been able to be so successful is because I had all these experiences. Right. And I can take them and I can say, hey, what did I learn? And when did I do a hard thing? And when was I uncomfortable? And how can I apply that to this situation? And how can I, who is it that I want to be? And how do I want to grow? And how do I take that control over my life to to move it in the direction that where I feel in charge? And, And that's really what the experiential learning cycle is. And so I didn't, I didn't know that there were words for the things that I had experienced doing all of this wilderness travel and growing up at a, at a horse camp until um, I started working at Camp Manitouish. And Manitouish had a manual that was written by a Madison public school teacher, and her name is Lori Frank. And it's called The Caring Classroom. And basically, it it talks about what the experiential learning cycle is. And Really, it's having a concrete experience, reflecting on it, like connecting it to other areas of your life and then applying it moving forward. And so Kikori uses that as a play, reflect, connect, grow cycle and that everything we do, we are intentionally like making the implicit explicit by saying, okay, we want you to play and then we're going to reflect on it and we're going to connect it to something else and we're going to grow from there. And how do we, how do we reclaim our narrative? You know, and I think that anybody can benefit from this sort of uh, mental uh, idea of it and especially teachers and if if teachers or or people who can influence young people um if you have any type of engagement with your own kids or stepkids or you know nieces or nephews or neighbors what have you but anybody who's working with youth this is this is resilience right this is grit this is this is how we teach this reframing and how to stay engaged and, and how to do hard things, how to be uncomfortable or how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Wow. And I think more and more of us are shying away from that. And, you know, we see it in that our social media just has echo chambers of people who think similarly to us. We tend to spend our time with people who behave and enjoy the same things that we enjoy because it's uncomfortable to be challenged. Wow. But 
it makes us better people. Yeah. All right. We're going to go to our commercial break, which just okay. happens to be Kikori. And then we're going to talk more about the difference uh, that Kikori can make with this. And I think, you know, resilience and grit are so important right now. And so I can't wait to talk about it more. And so we're going to um, just go to that and we'll be right back. Has social-emotional learning become just one more thing on your teacher's plates? Do teachers and students both find it boring and ineffective? Then bring Kikori to your school. Kikori transforms classrooms through experiential SEL activities that help students play, reflect, connect, and grow. Even better, students say it's more fun than recess. Schedule a no-obligation conversation at kikoriapp.com slash bringkikori. K-I-K-O-R-I. Do you ever feel like you can't say what you really want to say? Or that you're stuck or in a holding pattern in your relationships, career, personal life, or finances? Are there things you want in life that you've given up on? Are you resigned that this is as good as it's going to get? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then Hillary Burns, host of the Getting Real with Hillary show, has the solution you need. Hillary is a published author of three books and has a program called The Getting Real Process. This process frees you from what is holding you back, allowing you to create a life you love. Don't believe it? It is hard to believe that it could work, isn't it? The proof is that hundreds of Hillary's clients have used The Getting Real Process and are now free to create whatever they want in relationships, career, finances, enjoying life, or just loving themselves more. So go to realtalkwithhillary.com and order Hillary's book, Real Talk, and set up a conversation. Okay, and thank you again, as always, to Kikori. Um, our sponsor, and we're going to talk more about uh, Kokori today. This is a very special episode because we have Bryn, one of the co-founders of Kokori. And also, if you find yourself stuck, uh, don't forget realtalkwithhillary.com and schedule a time to talk so we can get you more real and more free. And welcome back, Bryn. So here we are. It's so, wow. It's so interesting what you're talking about with the resilience and grit. So do you, um, you know, I don't know if the audience knows really about Kokori. Do you want to, how do you yeah. want to go for it? Do you want to tell them about Kokori and then we could talk about why it's so important to bring this to children right now? Absolutely. Okay. So um, when when I started working at Camp Manitwish, I learned about the experiential learning cycle and I started working with school groups um, that would come to me in the Northwoods of Wisconsin and we would run them through a series of uh, games and activities on the ground. And then we'd do some low ropes course initiatives and then we'd go up on the high ropes course. Um, and so that was like climbing telephone poles and 
traversing wires and jumping out into the open air um, to either grab a trapeze or be caught by our harnesses and our ropes. Um, but the whole program was called the leadership program. And they talked about teaching leadership skills intentionally because some leaders happen by accident, but the world doesn't have enough of them. And so we have to make them and we can do that on purpose by teaching and honing and practicing leadership skills. And I got really, really involved in the work. Um, and when my husband and I uh, started our family, I was really thinking about what I wanted to do long term. And one of my professional mentors said, well, you should get like a master's degree in this. And so I went and uh, started a master's degree program in experiential education. And that's where I met my co-founder. And my co-founder, Kendra Bostic, was working in the Chicago system, Chicago school system. And she was working with a lot of urban kids that, um, as a social worker, she would see the ones that struggled either academically or behaviorally in a traditional education model. And she came to this, this master's program because she saw how effective that it was with some of her students that weren't thriving in that traditional classroom setting. And so we did um, our master's program together. And part of that was a two-week backpacking trip in Wyoming. And so her and I shared a tent together. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> how cool. uh, I have shared a tent with Kendra. Um, the, she is the second most person I have ever shared a tent with. Um, so at this point, my husband has finally beat her out, but her and I have done backpacking trips in Wyoming and Patagonia. Um, and we did a rock climbing trip here in Wisconsin. And yeah, so she had this idea for an app and the app is a database of the activities that I would use on the challenge course. Um, but so that we could find them on a digital platform because there's lots of books that have games and activities, but nobody wants to carry around all these different books. And what we liked was that there were different authors that offered different perspectives and, you know, they each had their own book, but then that meant you had a whole library in your backpack where our vision was to sort of curate it all on on these phones that we all had now. And so we, we developed um, a digital platform and actually right after our master's program, Kendra moved to Santiago, Chile. And the first version of our app was built in exchange for English lessons. So she bartered with these young uh, developers who wanted to um, be more competitive on a global scale and they could speak Chilean very well, but not English. And so she taught them English in exchange for development hours. And that's how we got our first version of, of Kikori. Wow. <laughs> That's so cool. All right. So now, and can you, so the experiential is mm -hmm. different from the regular, I know social emotional learning is what they're bringing into yep. schools, but yours 
is experiential social emotional mm-hmm. learning. So how is that yeah. more effective or how would you, I know I'm using my little hand here, but um, like, how would you compare it? And mm-hmm. I know, I, I think what you're saying, you know, when you had the experiences overseas, you said you, you experienced something different than just like reading it in a book or something. So can you, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm doing justice, but go ahead. I'll let you explain it. (laughs) All right. Um, Social emotional learning is a big buzzword in education. And basically it is uh, equivalent to soft skills, Um, but it is, it is relationships. It's communication. um, It's, it's trust, it's empathy, it's compassion, awareness. And a lot of those are taught through um, social emotional learning curriculum. Um, and a lot of that curriculum is worksheets or a lesson where a teacher talks at a group of students. Um, what's different about what we provide is that it's experiential. So the difference between telling kids to be a good friend or reading them a story about being a good friend or even giving them like, a worksheet where they have to choose between, you know, a set number of choices of what is it to be a good friend? Is it to, you know, share your apple or is it to eat the apple all yourself? Um, What we provide is instructions for the educator to lead the group through an activity and then debrief that activity using the experiential learning cycle. And you reflect on what happened, why it happened, and what you're going to do next time. And so we provide an opportunity for kids to practice being a good friend, for them to learn that skill and then drill that skill, and to do it in a safe environment where there's a facilitator or an educator there before we send them out to do it in the real world or even at recess. Um, It's interesting to me because so often every year in school in FIED, students do a basketball like unit and they learn how to dribble and they learn how to pass and they learn how to shoot. And eventually, as those skills get developed, then they start doing plays or drills and they scrimmage and then they play a game. Well, with team building activities, so many teachers are like, oh, well, well, they've done that once. But we are also growing and maturing every time. And those skills do need to be drilled and perfected and honed and then practiced in a safe environment where we can learn from our mistakes and we can try to correct those and do it differently the next time. And, you know, try stuff and change it and try it again. And, and it goes back to that, that making safe spaces for challenge, but also for failure. And we learn so much more from failure than we do from success. But many of us, it's, it's uncomfortable to watch somebody else fail or struggle. And so a lot of teachers... Um, and and parents and people who care about others, they they sort of create a, a success only path. Um, you know, my students, they 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 practice and they study and they prep for standardized tests. 
standardized tests are really just meant to assess where the student is at in their learning. Practicing for the standardized test sort of negates the, the inherent learning that they're supposed to be doing prior to that. But educators are, are, are judged and um, their performance is based on how students do in standardized tests, not how they deliver actual lessons. Um, and I really think that we would all benefit from learning more experientially and, and learning by doing because we internalize it differently. Um, right. So the, can, can Corey, so when you, like, do you, I mean, obviously it's good for children because especially if you're seeing a generation where they're afraid to fail and they're afraid to make mistakes and they're only doing safe things, um, so the kids, you know, mm -hmm. to teach the next generation, but what about the ones that are older that have never been allowed to fail? Can you, can this be used for them too? Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have corporate clients. I want to give it to everyone right now. No. I'm like, come on, let's um, go. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes, sometimes my corporate clients struggle with the simpler activities more than, than my, my elementary school students do. Uh, sometimes corporate uh, level folks, adults, they they get their tunnel vision and and they want to do things the same way, but that stifles creativity. Um, and a lot of times, the same way it's always been done isn't necessarily working. Um, and so, yeah, we play we play the same games. And the thing is, is that it's not about the game. Uh, it's all a metaphor. It's all a metaphor for how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to each other, and how we relate to the community around us. So at the camp that I work at now, we eat family style. And we have these huge round tables and 12 people sit at them. And you can't reach across from one side of the table to the other. And eating meals is a team building initiative. Eating meals, you have to learn how to just take enough so that everybody gets first before anybody takes seconds. You have to learn how to communicate so that you can say, can you please pass this? And this is my need. And I would like some water. And can you do this? And, you know, service to others where if you took the last bit of water, like going and filling it for the rest of the table, um, we collaboratively clear our dishes. We you know, we look after each other while we are eating this meal. And it's a very different type of energy than if we were all like going to a buffet and just taking care of ourselves. And do you find that, like, how old are these kids? Um, well, I, I worked in the public school system for six years and I worked with pre-K through eighth grade, um, at Camp Manitowish, I primarily work with middle school through college and then have some corporate clients. So, But these activities help all ages, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's stuff yep. that we don't, especially after COVID. Yeah. Right? Just a few more minutes, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the app we have a filter button and you can filter by age. So we have it broken down into elementary, middle, high school, 
higher education as as well as workforce or professional development. Wow. Um, and we have over a thousand activities. And so when you hit apply, I mean, this is these are each of these white cards is an activity and this is what I have for adults. Um, so can you just like read how easy one would be? Like, yeah. Like, you know, it's not complicated. But no. Would be one activity. So um, one of our. Tell me, tell me more. Uh, tell me more about your audience. Um, what what type of energy do they have that they want for an activity? So there's um, sitting, walking, or running. So if you had to to come up with what energy type of an activity do you want? Um, running. All right. So here's. So you pitch, you actually get to pick. You get to decide yeah. sitting right now. I'm like, I don't know. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. You get to pick. <laughs> All right. So this is this is a three uh, a three energy activity. It takes ten minutes. Okay. Um, and it's called elbow tag. And so it's a running game best played outside in a large room or a gymnasium. And then we have step-by-step instructions along with facilitator tips right here at your fingertips. So you have everything that you need on the go to lead this activity. So you want to say, have the class or groups get into pairs. Students should stand in a circle or scatter to borrow and interlock elbows with their partner. They do not move unless they are tagged. One per one pair is chosen to unlock their elbows. One person is the chaser and the other is the runner. And they run around. It's a typical tag game. If the chaser tags the runner, they switch roles. If the runner doesn't want to be caught, then they can lock elbows with someone. But since three is a crowd... The person on the other end of the trio must now unlock their elbow and become the new runner. So (laughs) this continues until the time is up or people fall down from exhaustion. That sounds like fun. Yeah. So I'm just looking at the time, Bryn. That, that, that sounds so awesome. And I can see why Kikori is so important for our next generation and for all generations to really get unstuck from, you know, being afraid, being afraid to do things that you haven't done, that you're afraid you won't be good at and just do it in a safe environment. Where can people go to get more information? What, you know, what can they do? And then we'll end with, you know, what you want to, what would be your vision for the world, either five years or, or, you know, Absolutely. So, I mean, along with the activity, this and this is what makes it a little bit different, is that every activity has those reflection questions. So you can ask your your group, would you have rather been the runner or the tagger? Did it matter who your partner was? How did you feel about changing partners? Why is it important to be able to work with everyone in our class or our group? When is it appropriate to expect mixing partners? 
And when is it unrealistic? And what did you learn from this experience that you can apply to working with others in our class, in our classroom, after school activities, or even at home? And that's a way to get students to think about this fun activity that was really just a tag game, but to apply it to their learning and how they they interact with themselves, with others, and then their greater community. Um, so everything is available at the Kikori app. Our website is kikoriapp.com, K-I-K-O-R-I-A-P-P.com. We are available on all of the app stores as Kikori app, all of our socials, are at Kikori app. Um, a no cost way to support us is to like, comment, and share um, and help just get the word out. So the base level of our platform is free. We would love for anybody and everybody to check it out. Uh, we welcome feedback. We would love to know how to make this better. Um, and really our wish for the world is to democratize access to this type of education. We know that it works and we know that it works for the people who are the least likely to receive it. Um, and so it's, it's our mission to uh, transform education. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you. So, so what would you see in five years if like zillions of people were on the app? What do you see possible for the world, for mm -hmm. the country, if people really use this kind of education? What do you see possible? Well, I believe, I believe that we're in a, a sort of a reckoning post-COVID. I mean, the traditional education system was not ideal pre-COVID and we're certainly struggling post. I I believe that education is going to look different in the next 10 to 20 years, for sure. Um, there's a mass exodus of teachers. They don't want to do it. They are just really struggling. Um, and it's not for lack of passion for their students. And so if, if in five years, thousands of people, tens and hundreds of thousands of people are using this type of education. What I think is that we're going to see more emotionally intelligent people. I think we're going to see more compassion, um, more understanding in relationships with that people have with themselves, that, that emotional maturity, um, you know, better relationships with others, uh, both within their families, within the workplace, within schools. Um, you know, and just, just a greater understanding and capacity to learn new things and to challenge themselves and to try harder. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Bryn and Kendra also. And um, just thank you, you know, for making the world a better place. <laughs> Appreciate it. Appreciate you here. And uh, thank you. Thank you well, again for being here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing and your reach and your community. And thank you for Haley. I mean, she makes everything that we do pretty. So, yes, Haley's my daughter and she's amazing. <laughs> so, thank you. Thank you, Bran. Mm -hmm. Thank you for watching this episode. I started getting real with Hillary when I discovered that I was a people pleasing, pleasant phony and wanted to be more of my real self. We can grow together. If you will like the show, subscribe to my channel and share this episode with your friends and family 
so that we can have a world that's more real.